So we're going to get into it. This is part four of our 316 series, all right? 316. It's not an address, it's not a phone number, but it is a place in the Bible that we maybe know very well. John chapter 3, verse 16. This is the last part of our, our journey. We've been pursuing newness, newness. We're in a new location. We wanted a new start. We're in a new phase, a new transition as a church, but we, want, we recognize that for a church to experience revival, my heart needs to experience revival. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. And so in part one, we found that newness starts by hearing the heartbeat of God, the heartbeat of God's love. Always, always. That's why John 3.16 starts, for God so loved the world, right? And then we also discovered that newness involves the honesty of seeing our own heart need, that we are unbelieving naturally. That's why John 3.16 appeals to us. Whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then last week we found that newness, having everlasting life and eternal life, is really having a day-by-day trusting relationship with Jesus. We found that eternal life that John uses is actually equated to the life in Christ or the life in the Spirit that Paul talks about throughout his epistles. And so that life in Christ is a life of victory, victory over life struggles, temptations, discouragements, you name it. But this victory is never by force. It's always by faith, right? The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And I like to say we walk by faith, not by feeling. We walk by faith, not by force. We walk by trusting in Jesus. And it's choosing the good fight, not the, not the fight that we try to fight in our own, our own skill and strength. And so last week, you know, um, we actually made a very specific appeal. That uh, as we seek to be crucified to the flesh and live our life in the Spirit... Um, We mentioned the idea of baptism and how that is a very concrete recognition that I am putting to death the old and living to life in the new. And it's been really encouraging to hear that God has already been putting that on some of your hearts uh, just to just to realize that, hey, maybe baptism or rebaptism is what I need to walk forward in. And I just want to affirm you for those uh, those those commitments that you're making. I tell you what, baptism is never going to be a decision you regret. Baptism is never going to be a decision you regret. In fact, it's probably the best decision you could possibly make. Um, Some may be considering that decision even now. And if that's you, I just want to appeal to you. God is speaking to you. Um, Man, just move forward in faith. All right? Okay, so part four, 316. Is there really more? Didn't we talk about eternal life, everlasting life? Isn't that the last part of John 316? I mean, last time I recited it, the last time I looked at it, that we may have everlasting life. Is there really more to it? Yes, I think there is. I think there is. Why? Because being in Christ and living in the Spirit is not just about what we get, but it's about what we give. Did you hear it? Being in Christ, having eternal life is not just about what we get, but it's about what we give. So that's what we're going to study today, that the life in Christ is both a life of complete surrender, just like we talked about last week, but it's also a life of consecrated service. And that's what we're going to study this week. Um, So let's pray together as we jump into the word together. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we recognize today that it is Sabbath, that these are sacred hours, that this is a special time that you have between our hearts and yours. And Lord, it strange as it seems, though this is a blessed day, I feel like in many ways the devil tries to fill it with curses. 
that he tries to put roadblocks and obstacles, distractions, disappointments. And so, Father, if, if there's anyone here who has come seeking a blessing, but also being tugged at, pulled down by other things, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would have the victory in that too. Lord, you said, who the Son sets free, he is free indeed. We just want to lean into that identity today, that we are a child of God. And as children, God, we want to listen, we want to sit, we want to be mindful of what the Father has for us. And you want to give us good things today, so please give us your good word, give us your good spirit, give us truth that will not only inform us, but transform us. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family sing. Amen. Amen. All right, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. This is where we're going to start. Just a little bit of a preview of how we're going to flow through our study. We're going to start with John three sixteen. Explore this eternal life, what the believer has. We're going to move through a couple of verses in John that I think John uses to expand our picture of what the believer has. And then we're going to turn to a passage in Paul that really ties everything together. Okay? All right. So John chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. John three sixteen. Red letters in my Bible. This is Jesus' words. Immediately, in the primary context, he's talking to Nicodemus. It's a one-on-one interview. It's beautiful how a one-on-one interview turns into this global message, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Have everlasting life. What does the believer have? What does the believer have? And, and what is the believer given? The believer has, according to this verse, when, when someone believes, what do they, well, let's say this, what do they not have? <laughs> they do not have the expectation of death, right? Uh, it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what do they have? What does the believer have, according to this verse? Everlasting life, everlasting life. All right, turn with me to John chapter 7. All right, last week we explored that everlasting life is more than just eternally living, but it's actually living in a day-by-day relationship with Jesus. But notice what else the believer has in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 37. This is a a time in which Jesus is actually kind of in a a public space now, not just a one-on-one interview. It's the end of a a feast, a, a festival there in Jerusalem. And Jesus kind of stands up in the crowd and makes this huge declaration. Verse 37, if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. It says, on the last day, so the climactic day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Oh, man, that song, Living Waters. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Man, Jesus says, come to me and drink. But then notice verse 38. He who does what? He who believes, okay, speaking again about the believer, what does the believer experience? He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When you're a believer, according to John 3.16, you have everlasting life, present tense, relationship with Jesus. But according to this also, when you're a believer, something is coming out of you. 
Something's coming out of you. And it says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What is he talking about? Verse 39, John explains this. But this he spoke concerning who? The Spirit, all right? This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And we'll get to that in just a moment, that the Holy Spirit's outpouring was actually contingent upon Jesus' departure. Did you know that? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit has constantly been at work in human history. I mean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that the Spirit of God was moving upon the face of the waters, right? But in a special way, in a marked way, in a, in a very unique and distinct way, because Jesus is risen, the Holy Spirit is given. Okay? And we'll get to that in just a moment. Actually, next month we'll explore that in more detail. But notice, when the believer, uh, when someone trusts in Jesus, those believing in him, they would receive the Holy Spirit. So not just does the believer have eternal life, but the believer has the Holy Spirit. Is that good news to you? The believer has the Holy Spirit. And it says, according to verse 38, that there are rivers of living water flowing from his heart. This is talking about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about that life in the Spirit that we were talking about last week. It's underscoring that whole point. But notice, I just love this imagery that Jesus gives to portray the Spirit-filled life. When Jesus talks about the Spirit-filled life, he's not talking about someone who is constantly drinking. What is he talking about? He's talking about a river that's flowing out. In other words, when I'm a believer, I am not just in a position of receiving. I am now in a position where I can give and give and give again. I tell you, it's hard to give, right? I mean, people are demanding of your time. People are demanding of your energy. People are demanding of your attention. And it's hard to give and give and give. But when the Spirit is ours, God makes us rivers of living water. When the Spirit comes in, there's an outflow that gives life. Jesus is pointing to a life of service, a life of others-centeredness, not self-centeredness. Jesus is pointing to a life of not just receiving blessing, but giving blessing. And yesterday, as I was just kind of reviewing things and studying this again, I asked myself the question, because I don't know if you noticed this in in, uh, verse 38, it says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I asked myself the question, wait, what is he referring to? What scripture is Jesus quoting here? And there's no quotations here, you know, in my Bible as far as like, hey, this is a direct, there's no footnote that says this is from some Old Testament text or whatever. But I did some research and stuff, and the closest that I could come to was in Isaiah 58. So go ahead and hold, hold a, a place there in John 7 because we're going to go back to John, but Isaiah 58 is just a very powerful passage, and it helps us connect the dots between this idea of living for others and the Holy Spirit just having this effect of giving life like living waters. Isaiah 58, Old Testament passage, in verse 11. Isaiah 58, verse 11. When you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 10. The whole chapter is powerful. If you have a chance, it's, it's actually a Sabbath chapter. It ends climaxing with this promise about the Sabbath. And in verse 10, it says this, If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, 
Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. That's really poetic when you think about it, right? That's really awesome. If you live not for yourself, but if you give yourself, extend yourself for those who are in need, you're going to be bright like the noonday sun. Now, verse 11 continues this promise. When you live for others, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a what? A watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. The promise is that when you are a believer in Jesus, you will live for others. And that living for others is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's beautifully portrayed as a life-giving spring, as a life-giving river. Do you want to be a river? (laughs) Do you want to be a spring that others can come to and find life? This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, when you believe in me, you not just have eternal life, you are now giving eternal life. It's not just that you possess eternal life, but that you can extend eternal life to others. That's the beautiful promise that Jesus is saying. Life in the Spirit is not just receiving the Spirit, but bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it is. That's what it is. All right, back to John. Back to John chapter 14 this time. All right. John 14, just a few chapters later. John 14 and verse 12. And I'll, I'll be honest with you before we even read this. This is one of those verses that would always make me scratch my head. Like, could Jesus really be, ta- like, is he serious in this moment? And in John 14, verse 12, I think this is one of those promises that Jesus wants to see fulfilled, not just in his global church, but in you specifically. All right, when you're there, say amen. amen. John 14, verse 12, the Bible says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. What? (laughs) Okay, John 3.16, the believer has everlasting life. John 7.37-39, the believer has a river of life flowing out of them. They have the Holy Spirit. And according to John 14.12, The believer, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. This is incredible. This is incredible. Again, Jesus is just kind of connecting all the dots for us. He's telling us that he who believes in Jesus will do the works of Jesus. And for what reason? What's the explanation? It says, and greater works than these he will do, because... Because what? I go to my Father. There's that connection. Because Jesus departs, who's going to come? The Holy Spirit, right? John 16, verse 7 actually makes it very, very clear. Just kind of look a few chapters over. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. In other words, when I leave, He will come. And because... He goes to the Father. The Holy Spirit is able to come into our hearts. And he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Pretty incredible. Let this sink in just for a moment. When we believe, we not only have life, but we give life. The works that we do, 
he will, or we will do also. And to a greater degree, why? Because he, he's not just uh, limited to one physical body. He can do it through all of us. It's not that we're doing more magnificent things than Jesus, but we're doing it to a greater extent than Jesus because he's working through the body of Christ. So in John, it's very interesting. I, I was asking myself, well, what, what are the works of Jesus really? And in the Gospel of John, that idea, that word works, actually appears several times. I think 14 um, Okay, I could be wrong. Several times throughout the Gospel of John. In John chapter 4, it's right after he's hanging out with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well goes to retrieve her whole city to come to Jesus. And and Jesus is like, man, I I, I have food that you know not of. He's talking to his disciples. And that's to do the work of the Father. Well, what work? The work of reaping the harvest that is already ripe, the harvest of souls. In John chapter 5, after the healing at the pool of Bethesda, he helped a blind man see, or he helped the, the lame man be, begin to walk. And, and he's bringing wholeness and healing to someone's life. He uses that idea, hey, I'm doing the works of the Father, he says. These are not his works. These are works of the Father, from the Father, glorifying the Father. In John 17, verse 4, when he's praying, remember in verse 3, he says, Oh, Lord, I pray that you would give them eternal life. This is eternal life, that they might know you, that you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then he says, I have glorified the Father. I have finished the work that he gave me to do. We're talking about doing the works of Jesus. We're talking about reaping harvests of souls. We're talking about bringing healing and wholeness to people's lives. We're talking about glorifying the Father. Glorifying the Father. You see, the one who believes in Jesus plays a part in continuing and extending the works of Jesus. So the question today is, do you believe in Jesus? And when you believe in Jesus, do you realize that you've not only been given something, but now you can give something to others because you believe in Jesus? All right, so this is the the great blessing of having eternal life. It's not just a salvation that we experience, but it's a salvation that we can extend to other people. Yeah. Are we following me today? Is everybody tracking okay? I know it's a little bit on the warm side here today. Um, Lauren, do you mind propping that back door like super wide open and see if we can get some sort of cross flow here. We're still trying to figure out the, the dynamics of being in this space, but God is, God is good to us. All right. <clears throat> so this is our foundation in John. Now we're going to go to a passage that Paul writes in Ephesians, and he's going to tie it all together for us. All right. Ephesians chapter four. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter two. All right. So let's go to Ephesians. You're going to the right. If you're in John, you go the Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Then you've got Galatians, then Ephesians. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4, but I really want to end up in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. When you're there, say, I found it. All righty. All right, Paul has a way of describing things a little bit differently. But he does it maybe for the left brain folks that need to just kind (laughs) of tie it all together. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And you know what's really interesting is that we're going to see all the dynamics of this whole 316 series. We're going to see it all right here. Notice verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great what? His great love with which he loved us. There's the heartbeat of God, right? Even when we were dead in trespasses. There's the heart need of humanity. We're dead. 
we're not just bad people who need to be good. We're dead people who need to be resurrected, right? Who were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. There's that resurrection piece, that life in the Spirit, the life in Christ. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Period. Wow, that was a really long sentence. All right. This is Paul just kind of overviewing the entirety of the gospel. It starts with God's love. It goes to your need. And then the resurrection that happens in the spirit. Okay. And then now verse 8, 9, 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Praise the Lord. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then here is the climax. Verse 10. This is what I want to zero in on today because this is the crescendo, if you will. This is the, the climax of Paul's thought. And if we were to stop short of it, we would miss everything that he's really wanting us to hear. So there it is. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, this is huge. There's three phrases here that are so large, so expansive that I want us to slow down. And we're just going to catch the newness that Paul is Making of it, or he's describing to us because God has made this available to us, right? So there, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Three realities we're going to uncover here today. Hopefully we've got this here on the screen. Newness, the newness that, that, that leads to service, all right? Newness for service. And then reality number one is right there in that first fa- phrase, we are his workmanship because of salvation. When we are believers, we have a new identity. We have a new identity. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, what is that identity? We are His workmanship. We're His work of art. We're His, his the thing that He has spent hours on. He, he, he's the one that, that, that is the master artist, the potter, and we are the clay. This is our new identity. And this awareness of being God's workmanship maybe your bible says handiwork having this awareness should give us two things it should give us humility and it should also give us a sense of beauty right it closes our lives with humility and also beauty humility knowing that we never make ourselves i remember um sitting down at my grandfather's knee he was a world war ii veteran um He was in the Philippine army, but he served uh, alongside the American army. Uh, He was part of the Bataan Death March, if you remember that. And praise the Lord, he survived that. But I remember just kind of him recounting how he, he moved from the Philippines, came to the United States with nothing, had nothing, but now he's, man, he's a man who stands on his own two feet. And he, he always said something. He always said this, I am a self-made man. That's what he said. You know, in his proud kind of like, I mean, not, not unhealthfully proud, but he always said, I am a self-made man. And I tell you, that generation, hats off to them. But the reality is this, that no matter how, how much effort my grandfather put into his own well-being, the reality is we are never self-made. 
but God is the one who makes us. And when, and when I become a believer, I can look and realize that I have a new identity. I'm not a self-made man. I am made by the hand of God. And that should clothe my heart with humility and realizing I never make myself. But it also should clothe my heart with a sense of beauty, knowing that if God is the one who made me, man, he never makes junk. I, I learned the song in high school, God, don't make no junk. <laughs> I know it's not grammatically correct. God, or how does it go? Yeah, something like that. Anyways, <laughs> um, I, I won't sing the whole song for you. But here's the point, that if God makes things, whenever God makes things, just go back to Genesis 1. Whenever God makes things, it is good. Very good. Good, good, very good. If you come from the hand of God, God makes you beautiful. I love it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, verse 11. He makes everything beautiful in his time. You may not necessarily feel like, oh, what's the beautiful thing in my life? Hey, he's making it beautiful in his time. We are his workmanship. The word itself is poema. It's the word that we get poem from. We're we're his poem. We're his artistic, lyrical, beautiful expression. That's who we are. That's the new identity. So if you ever feel unable to serve, if you ever feel like you have nothing to offer to people, that you feel broken and unfit for use, If you ever feel like you're the one that needs the help, how can I ever give someone help? God wants us to grab hold of this new identity. He wants us to know that he's making us beautiful in his time so that he can make others beautiful in his time. Grab hold of that new identity today. All right, reality number two. Oh, here's Ecclesiastes 3. Reality number two is we've got a new identity Here's the other dynamic. We have a new purpose. It's in that second phrase there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works. There's a goal. There's a mission. There's a, there's a, there's a destination for this recreative, beautifying process that God is working out. And that goal is to produce good works. That goal is to produce good works. Like we already saw it in John, these are the works of Jesus that bring uh, a harvest of souls. These are the the works of Jesus that that bring healing and wholeness to people's lives. These are the works of Jesus that give glory to the Father. These are the good good works. And these are works of service. They're never works for self. That's kind of the point that, that Paul is making here. Hey, we're saved by grace. We're we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Your works are never a point of self-exaltation. The works that God has in mind for you to walk in are always for God's glorification, right? In Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about these as works for ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. And then maybe you remember that phrase in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, let your good works, or let your light shine before men so that men may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. That's Matthew 5, verse 16. When, when we live lives of good works, it's never to demonstrate our goodness. It's never to demonstrate our you know, charisma or great skill. It's always to demonstrate God's character, right? And I think that's what beautifies or gives glory to God because God's glory, God's character is all about not self-centeredness, but other-centeredness. How can I lift up? He came not to be served, but to serve, right? And so when we serve and bless and, and minister, it's giving glory to the one whose very character is to serve and bless and minister, 
All right, so the, this is the new purpose that, that Jesus gives us when we become believers. When we become believers, we have a new identity. We have a new purpose. And, whew, sorry, we're going to skip through these. We have a new identity. We have a new purpose. And we also have a new confidence. A new confidence. This is really interesting. Go with me again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. There's the identity. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's the purpose. But notice this last phrase. I, I, I like how it really gives us confidence. These good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. I love it. Uh, the, the verb here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, about God preparing stuff. It's used only a few times in Scripture. I think one other time in the New Testament and, and one time in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In the Greek trans- translation of the Old Testament, it's actually in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 24, and it's talking about a farmer who's preparing his field, his, his crops. Maybe some of us have had experience of, of trying to plant things, trying to grow things, and you realize that you've got to do a lot of work before you can ever try to grow things. For those of you who read my blog from this week, man, before you ever try to plant anything in a new construction backyard, you've got to do some work. <laughs> uh, especially here in Colorado where things are so dry. Oh man, it is not, it is not a sandbox. It is, it is like concrete. Anyways, and so here's God doing work beforehand, this advanced work. And I, I love this idea. If you just kind of import this, this concept of God doing advanced effort, breaking up the ground so that you can do work too, so that you can bear fruit for his glory. Could it be that God has put his back into preparing the way for you to serve? Okay, let this sink in just a little bit because I think we often, you know, in a church setting especially, we talk about serving, we talk about volunteering, we have the the volunteer table out in the front there and we talk about it and we kind of, you know, let's be honest, some of us kind of hedge a little bit because we we realize everybody's busy and everybody has things to do and stuff and so sometimes we feel like we're imposing upon people to ask them to serve or to volunteer. But could it be that God has already prepared the way? He's put effort and sweat, and maybe he's strained his back, just like I am. Anyways, okay. (laughs) Maybe he has put so much effort into things so that you and I can give effort too. Could it be that God has put his back into preparing the way for us to do good works? And that, man, when I just realized that and kind of let things kind of sink in my mind, it totally put ministry opportunities in a different perspective. Let me just share. How, I mean, really, who am I to not make good on God's preparations? Like if someone were to, I mean, Jim was talking about taking his pickaxe to my backyard. Man, if Jim were to like plow up my backyard, make it ready to plant grass seed and a nice cherry tree or something like that, and I just look at that and like, hey, thanks for your blood, sweat, and tears, Jim. <laughs> I'll see it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and, and I left it fallow for an entire year. Who am I to leave all of that preparatory work not used up? Man, what if God has prepared the way for you and I to serve and we just sit on our hands? Thanks for the effort, but no thanks. Mm. 
I don't want to guilt trip us into thinking this, that, that I need to serve. because No, but to realize, wow, God has prepared the way so that I can serve. Service should not be about obligation, but it should be a confident reality that God is making a way for me to do it. Why? So I cannot live for myself, but give glory to him. Why? So I cannot be a swamp that always receives, but I can be a river that is constantly giving. Man, when I realize how much advanced preparation God has done, that means that when I am stepping into a ministry role, I am not the first one on the scene. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Two years ago in April, Debbie and I plopped here with our kids in Castle Rock, Colorado, wondering what kind of work God had in store. We felt like we were the only ones because we had never met anyone here in Castle Rock. And lo and behold, there had been several families who had already been dreaming about a church plant. That, that, that's the reality that God is at work way before we ever get there. Way before we ever get there. And so when I'm stepping into a role, even if it's a new role for me or a new role for a church, could it be that God's already been working it and it's not new to him? That means I can step into that with a new confidence. Not a confidence in myself, but a confidence in the one who has already done work beforehand. Already done work beforehand. Does that make sense today? I mean, I hope that that should like, put a little pep in your step as you, <laughs> as you, um, you know, consider being, able, being available to God in ministry and service. Now, I don't want to gloss over the last phrase, because sometimes I do this in my own personal, just devotional reading and stuff. But notice it, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I like that. That we should walk in them. The Greek verb there means to walk around in them. Like to actually walk a circuit. Like this is your normal routine in life. Um, it's, a, he, it's a Hebrew concept of referring to like kind of the regulation of one's routine, the, the habit of one's life. And actually when I was looking up a, a New, New Testament uh, commentary on this, it's, this is how this expositor's Greek Testament wrote it. That they should actually and habitually be done by us. Speaking of the good works. That those good works should actually and habitually be done by us. His final object, God's final object, was to make good works the very element of our life, the domain in which our actions should move. Do you follow what it's saying? That when we step into a ministry role, it's not a switch that we turn on or off. It's the very way that we live. To give, to serve, to bless. In other words, when service is a way of life, it's not something we, we put on or, or put off. It's, it's not a program, but a passion. It's a passionate way of life that we can serve with confidence. I like that a lot. <laughs> Do you want to walk habitually as the very element of your life? Do you want to walk in service? Do you want to be a river? And that's the basic, that's the bottom line appeal. Be a river. Don't be a swamp. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you grew up in areas where, uh, I don't know, like the southeast and Florida or uh, whatever, but maybe you've seen swamps in your life. I remember going to a, I guess it was a state park um, close to where we were living in California, and uh, we went there for our anniversary to explore it one year. You remember the story? And Jaden was probably less than Jacob's age at the time, 
we, we had him in our little backpack carrier or whatever, and we were exploring what we thought was a river, but man, it was not a river. <laughs> it was just like this marshy area and mosquitoes left and right. It was terrible. And you know what Jaden was doing the whole time? He was just like, thank you, Lord, for the mosquitoes and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. He was, he was enjoying, he was being thankful and grateful, and he was the only one that didn't get mosquito bites that day. Anyways, the point is this. <clears throat> the point that I wanted to make is this, that, man, areas that only receive are really horrible to be around. Yeah? But there's this place, um, I mean, y- y- you see this all the time. Whenever there's a river kind of snaking through an area, it's, it's verdant, it's green. Yeah? I mean, I grew up in Bakersfield, of all places, in Central Valley, California, brown. There's like one week of green in the year. It's like the first week of March. <laughs> but, but there is a, a little romantic spot that, that many people go to in Bakersfield. I, I took Debbie there every now and then. But th- there's like this, the Bluffs area. And there's a nice little walkway kind of overlooking the oil fields of Bakersfield. But if you looked over, you know, one corner of this spot, you, you would see this snake of green, so to speak. Why? Why? In the midst of all this barrenness, desert, oil fields, um, there is a river. Wherever there's a river, there's life. Wherever there's, even no matter how dry and barren, there, there are living waters giving life to others. I want to be a river. I want to live to give, not just to receive. And so, again, this, this idea of, uh, of being the one that, that, that flows out like a living water, it comes with a new identity, a new purpose, and a new confidence. And I realize that this, this may, may land on, on different people in different ways because some of us ha- are already actively involved, and I want to praise the Lord for the ways in which this church really thrives on everyone's active involvement. There's something about a small church dynamic where everybody needs to pitch in, otherwise nothing happens. And so I just want to praise the Lord for those of you who are already actively involved. And I want to encourage you today, as it says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For if we keep going and do not lose heart, we will reap a harvest. Yeah? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, uh, Therefore, brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. So I just want to praise you, or praise God for you today, for the volunteers who make things run. And maybe you're, you're feeling like you're running out of steam, and I want to encourage you to stay fresh. Stay fresh by leaning on these promises. Stay fresh by uh, challenging yourself even to trying new things in your roles or... Stay fresh by encouraging others to join you in your roles. There's something about involving others in ministry, sharing the joy of ministry that is reviving. Or maybe you're here today that you're, you're willing, you're willing to serve, but you're not quite sure how you want to serve. <laughs> you're willing, but directionless, so to speak. Go to the front table. There's some really cool directions. Anyways, okay. <laughs> Shameless plug. No, um... What I want to encourage you today with, if that's you, you're, you're wanting to serve but not quite sure how, um, lean upon the reality that God has made you his workmanship, that he has prepared good works for you in advance. And take, take that to him in prayer. God, you've promised that there are good works that you've already prepared for me. So what are they? What are they? Take that to God in prayer. Ask him questions like, what are the passions you've put on my heart? What are the things that make me come alive? 
Or maybe even talk honestly with him and say, God, what are the things that annoy me to death? Why? Because the things that annoy you about other people are usually, they, they come naturally to you. Like there's probably strengths in your life. Ah, using it by contrast. I mean, don't, don't think, don't take that to critical extents and things like that. But in other words, those things may come naturally to you. You may find direction by looking at the strengths that God has given you. Maybe you're willing today, but maybe you're not quite confident. And again, just going back to the new purpose, the new identity that God has given you, realize that you are God's workmanship and realize, you know, maybe you don't feel like you have enough Bible knowledge or enough spiritual maturity or experience to be able to be a servant of God. The fact is this, that it's not about spiritual IQ, all right? It's not about IQ, it's about I will, all right? It's not about how much you know, but it's about how willing you are, um, I love it. There's a, there's a phrase in Christ Object Lessons. Oh, man, how does this go? I should have looked this up. Anyways, the rephrasing of the Godfrey's version of it is this. <laughs> it's page 363. I remember that. But it says, um, when we are willing, when we make ourselves available, God makes himself responsible for the accomplishment of his plans. That's it. When we make ourselves available, God makes himself responsible. All right, check it out. Sorry, Christ Object Lessons, page 363. Maybe you don't feel gifted, like we were talking about earlier. Maybe you feel broken, so broken and helpless that you are the one that needs the help. How can I possibly help others? I want to tell you something. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Romans 12, 11, it says, we're not lagging in zeal, serving the Lord. There's something about lagging in zeal, but then when we step into service, it actually picks us back up again. Um... I think in Second Testimonies, Ellen White says something about, if you feel bad, hunt up somebody who is worse off than you. All right? Go ahead and search for that. Hunt up. Hunt up. And hunt up somebody who is worse off than you and pick them up. And when you pick them up, you'll pick yourself up too. He who waters himself will also be watered. That's what it says in Proverbs 11. So if you feel like you, you've got nothing to give, man, when you start giving, God's going to give you grace to give. <laughs> Sometimes our focus on others is the best way for us to grow our strengths and to recover from whatever difficulty or struggle. And realize it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not how impressive you are, how put together you are. Um, Sometimes we actually lack confidence because we're comparing ourselves to others. Oh, someone else can do that so much better. Someone else can preach that so much better. Someone else can provide the the leadership so much better. But I tell you what, if God has, has... is calling you, then he's giving you a new identity and he's asking you to walk in that. So just take these things to heart today, this new identity, this new purpose, this new confidence and see how you become a river in the process. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much that eternal life that you give is an eternal life that we can extend. It's humbling, Lord, to think that you actually want us to do the works of Jesus. Like even now, I'm shaking my head at that. But could it be that you have put your back, more than just your back, you've put your life into preparing the way for us to do the works of Jesus? Lord, I want to lean on that promise personally. I want to lean on that promise as a church family. Lord, as we consider ways that we can not only just serve inside our church, but through our church, serve the community. God, how can we give to this community in such a way that people see our good works and give you glory? Lord, that's what we long for. 
Thank you, God, that you have given us this calling, this promise, this assurance. It's our simple prayer that you would fulfill the promise of John 7 today. Cause living waters to flow out from us. Make us life-giving rivers, never life-sucking swamps, God. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen.